0: Welcome to the Broad Corb Report with our hosts Becky Allery and Michael Broad Corb. I'm Todd Walker, the moderator. And uh, stay tuned, we might be doing some rebranding of this show, incorporating all of our names in some fashion, who knows? The wonders of technology. I'm actually coming to you from the uh, ocean on my way to St. Kitts. So it's kind of an interesting uh, way that technology can work in our fashion now. I'm traveling on a company called Sea Dreams. It's a yacht company. Down here and if you want to you know join me on this adventure you can find me any place in social media on Tad P. Walker. So what do you guys think? are you a little envious that uh, you're back there in Minnesota and I'm down here?
1: A little bit I mean a little bougie you're on the middle of uh, in the middle of the ocean. can you can you for all of our Minnesota listeners here tell us the temperature that you get to enjoy today?
0: Well right? Right now, it is uh, 80 degrees. There's a nice, cool breeze, and uh, the sky is absolutely as blue as can be. But I will be honest with you. The, the ocean has been a little bit rough, so it's a smaller Aww. vessel. It's a smaller vessel, so there's a lot of shaking, uh, we'll
1: play shaking your, around. We'll play your little violin for you. It is sunny here, uh, beautiful, almost 40 degrees in Minnesota, um, and we are going to take it. So take your 80 degrees. We'll celebrate our 40s here.
0: All right, all right. Well, you know what? The 40s is is not too bad for this time of year in Minnesota, but we have an exciting show to share with you today, and I'm just going to kind of run through what some of our topics are. Of course, we have to talk about the Super Bowl. I don't know if there's a bigger fan in the of, of football in the state of Minnesota than Michael Broadcourt, so I'm going to be anxious to hear his thoughts. We want to talk a little bit about Angie Craig and this recent attack uh, on Angie. It was uh, pretty scary in an elevator. We also have a great guest on this week. It's Mike Freiberg, Representative Mike Freiberg, who's going to talk to us a little bit about his interest in changing the Minnesota state flag. Uh, Mike is from Golden Valley. We also have to talk about the State of the Union address. We teased it up a little bit last week, and I'm anxious to hear what Michael and Becky have to say and their thoughts on uh, some of uh, Biden's messages. And come on, it's getting this time. We have to start talking about the presidential chatter, and some of the people have thrown their hats into the ring. And one of the top stories we're seeing is these objects that are flying over the United States, and three more were found this past weekend. So, guys, let's start from the top of the show here. Uh, let's talk about Super Bowl. Michael, I want to toss it to you. What are your thoughts of the Super Bowl?
2: It was a great game. It was a fantastic game. Uh, uh, Becky, did you did you watch the game?
1: I did. You know, largely the second half. So, so I have a seven-month-old. Goes to bed around 6 o'clock, which is, you know, smack dab in the middle of that first half. Did catch the halftime show? Did catch the second half? Um, Both teams seem to have fun, right?
2: Which is important to you?
1: It is very important to me.
2: That's the same that my wife wakes all the time, which is she just wants both teams to have a fun time. Did you watch the halftime show? I mean,
1: real quick, I do got to give myself a plug. I I have played fantasy the last couple of years, have a couple championships under my belt, so I do. It is it is important to me. Not playing this year with the whole child situation, however. Uh I, I do like it. You know, t- it's important that everybody has a good time.
2: You've won championships playing fantasy football? I have. I'm a reigning family f- I'm a reigning fantasy football champion in my family.
1: Hi, I'm so lucky to be in your presence. Well, you
2: know, um, that's fantastic. I didn't know that.
1: Yes. But I, I because I, I have to go home and tell my husband that last call, was it holding?
2: Uh I think it was. Okay. I think both the player and the ref said it was holding. But uh, should
1: the refs I mean, he, he my husband's under the uh, thought that they should have just let it go. Let the you know game play out. Right? There's
2: an argument to be had by that. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think the refs are in a no-win situation. Uh, Goodell, as you know. Uh, made a statement about the referees, and I think you had you, we talked that about they're that
1: they're the best that he's ever seen, right?
2: I, I don't think that's the case. Becky. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that, that, that anyone would be giving a gold seal to the referees this or any season. Uh, I think it's a miscalculation by Roger Goodell's part on his fan base and what and what the what uh, the, the the fan the NFL experiences about the referees. I was at a Vikings game where uh, they came back there when they came back uh, down to the Colts. Had the ref, had the Vikings lost that game, I believe that the National Guard would have had to remove <laughs> the Vikings from the, remove the referees from the stadium. Uh, I think there's a problem now. It's it's frustrating because I think the refs are in a no-win situation. Right, they're damned if they do and damned if they don't. If they call it, they're up, people get upset about yeah. that. But then armchair analysts, yeah, you that, miss n- it now that the internet's everywhere. That that would have haunted. Uh, there would have been an, an uproar either way. I think that the safest way. To do it Is to just call them They saw call it, him like you see they him. call it Right yep, Call them like you see them That's what I think you got to do
1: And commercials Any favorites
2: uh, I'm going to go with The Amazon dog commercial one Where was, he got
1: a friend Where
2: he got a Which I didn't think He was going to get a friend I thought they were Going to maybe put him down That's <laughs> oh, where I thought That was going towards
1: Brutal You know um, for, for euthanization of dogs I'm huh? not
2: pro euthanization <laughs> of dogs uh, But I just That's right I'm like Who, who would have
1: hosted <laughs> that ad where, where Right this, Who would have
2: been Where was this going Um I don't know who would have hosted. That's a good call. <laughs> but I just didn't know where it was going. I mean, I, 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 I we do not have any animals at my house. Um, we do a pet sit for a number of our neighbors, which I love to do. I get very emotionally attached yeah. to the animals. Uh, we we uh, did a foster dog uh, a couple summers ago. It was really tough to see him go. Uh, how about you, animals at home?
1: Yeah, we got a year-and-a-half-year-old little golden mini-golden doodle. His name is Chuck, uh, full name Charles Barkley. Um, oh he my is goodness. great. And the the second love of my life. I mean, I guess third if I put my husband in there. Wow.
0: I was wondering because uh, I know
2: you have, a, you have a you have a child. The baby. Baby's yeah. less than a year old. Yep. Le- less than six. Yeah, we
1: literally got the got the dog and two weeks later found out we were pregnant. So it's been a while. We'll go for it.
2: If looking back, had you known about the baby, would you have gotten the dog? I
1: think so. They're my the son. The baby thinks that the dog is hilarious. The barks, the huffs. It's it's pretty great. Um, but
2: on the let's be clear about the ranking, though.
1: I guess I mean so. The, shh, so don't the tell kid, husband.
2: so d- husband's got to be one. Now who's coming in second place? Kid or no, dog? No,
1: I mean kid's got to be kid, one. And so right? Your parent?
2: Yes, kids one. Husband two. I mean in that yeah. I mean the podcast is going to go out. so he's going to know? So you, you might want to. Yeah. So, all right, so we'll put, we'll
1: put that. We'll put that. Well, I guess we'll put Chuck number three.
2: Chuck's number three. Okay. Oh, all right. Um, and then the game. So the rest of the commercials. Yeah. Zone.
1: I mean, my favorite was the John Travolta. I'm a big Scrubs yeah. fan. So Zach Braff, Donald Faison, uh, You know, little summer loving can't be that.
2: I thought it was great. Yeah. And that he, in fact he's embraced the fact that he's bald. I yeah. think that's just remarkable. He
1: looks better than he did a couple years ago. I think it's fantastic. Yeah.
2: I'm really proud of him.
1: All right, people are probably saying this isn't a sports broadcast, but uh, the game. Yeah, I think it was great. a great game. You, you were
2: happy cuz both sides won. But yeah.
1: both both teams they, It was a close game. They, they, it was it back was and forth. You yes. know, both sides were in in first or in first, you know, winning at some point. <laughs> yes, they were. Uh yeah, no, I thought it, I thought it was I, I had a really good time.
2: I um would, did a, a interview earlier in the week uh where I predicted I I was hoping that the Chiefs would win. It yep. wasn't any signs about how I did it. I'm not smart in that, in that sense. Um uh, and so I was glad the Chiefs won. Uh the Philadelphia fans the fans of the Philadelphia Eagles make it very easy not to like the Eagles. And they're a very unifying force in that sense. So as much as I don't want there to be heartbreak and misery for any team on Sunday, um, the Eagles have found their place in, I think, a lot of families' hearts and minds, men and women, families all across the country about sports, that they're very comfortable and appreciative of the fact that the Eagles lose just because of how jerks their team, their, their, their fan base are. And so that was tough to see. Uh, not really, but uh, for them it was tough. There's been some uh, tweets on social media with some people who have been uh, who were breaking TV sets, not handling the loss very well. I don't think I would handle it well if the Vikings lost another Super Bowl. Um, but
1: thankfully, we don't have to worry about
2: that. Thankfully, we didn't have to worry about it. But yeah. it was a good game, and the halftime show. Did we talk about the halftime show? We did
1: not. You know. Uh I like a little Rihanna myself. I thought it was great. She's got a great catalog. I just expected, you know, there there a costume change or, uh, you know, somebody else a Jay Z Eminem to come out and do one of their songs with her. I mean, epic pregnancy announcement. Can we just say that? That's but ab- um, yes. and and how high she got in that in that stadium is just incredible.
2: Did you announce your pregnancy? Yeah, uh, at the Super Bowl,
1: I, I can't say that okay, I did. Just,
2: I don't want to intrude. Just wanted to ask
1: on the female empowerment front, though. However, I do. also have to give a shout out. Um, all women flyover team, I think, is incredible, super cool, and I, I think that was really good, cool to see.
2: It was great, and and to your Rihanna point, it, the, there's been such an expectation at the Super Bowl at halftime shows. That there's going to be some pr- surprise. I mean, she is a, a, a she is a big enough. Guest and yeah, she hasn't toured
1: in seven years. So I mean, this a huge is a huge. She's
2: there, but you had an expectation that there was going to be some surprise. Yeah, appearance.
1: you know, we just between we've had like you know Katy Perry with Left Shark, and I mean all this like huge you know show of things last year. I mean, last year was pretty epic. That's my my yep. thing, but you know, so it was great. I I enjoyed it. I bopped along. I just kind of expect. I kept I kept waiting, and yep. then when it ended, I, I just thought that you know.
2: Well, I think it was a good Super Bowl, both halftime show and game. Glad to see the Chiefs win. Glad to see a little misery in the city of brotherly love.
1: Yeah. And this is our announcement that we're transitioning over to a sports broadcast?
2: That's Right. That we're going to be moving over to sports <laughs> broadcast, yes. Because we have two, apparently, fantasy football champions. Yeah,
1: how'd you do this year?
2: Uh, I won my league. Wow. I won my league. All right. Uh so I'm really, it. And it's a league with my family, uh, with my immediate family and my sisters and, and, and nieces and, and cousins and other stuff. It brings so, a little
1: extra joy to Brings
2: a little extra joy yeah. to there. Speaking of joy... Uh, are we going with State of the Union? Let's go State of the Union. All right. Uh, what is, we speaking
1: had, of joy. Speaking
2: of joy. Yeah, speaking of joy, the State of the Union. We had discussed it last week. We had kind of laid it out as what our expectations were. You had made a, a really good point, which is that what Biden said was almost as, what Biden was going to say was as, almost as important as how he's going to say it. Yeah. And from that standard, from the kind of your Communication strategist analyst perspective did he accomplish that
1: I think he did. I, I think that his speech writers um, a, a couple different wins that he had um, he sounded very together he you know had a couple stumbles here and there i think got a little just too excited and and speaking a little too fast but largely he sounded very with it very there he had some good quips based on um, some jeering and booing from the audience um the the biggest win i would say that him and the democrats had was um i would say you know he he with his words talked about unity but found and and bipartisan but found different spots to that he knew was going to draw out those republicans knew it was going to draw out those marjorie taylor Greens, um bobert kind of situations and then was able to successfully basically tie all republicans in a package with uh marjorie taylor greene as as you know the cherry on top there really unfortunate for republicans from that
2: you're the biden white house are you happy with the speech both in delivery and in response to it
1: Um, Yes, for those that saw it, it did have the second lowest attendance of State of the Unions to date. So that's unfortunate for them. Um, But I think that this was kind of a do no harm speech. They wanted to make sure that all, you know, for all intents and purposes, that Biden came out of that clean and able to, you know, launch his next campaign um, sooner than later. And he did no harm to himself there. And they got a couple of little wins along the way.
2: One of the things I think is was important for him was to frame up his his opposition, which I think he successfully did. Um, you know, you've you've been a part of you know framing and bracketing by, by candidates. Obviously, the Republicans had prepared for Sarah Huckabee Sanders, mm-hmm. governor of Arkansas, to be the kind of official Republican response. But what did what ended up happening because of the antics of some Republican House members was who became the main kind of. Enemy was Marjorie Taylor Greene, right? And and I think that's a win for Biden in his operation. I she, mean, if you're able to elevate her up as kind of the main messaging point uh, for Republicans as being kind of the who's going to who his contrast is, I think that's a win for him. from From your perspective, um, what was the significance of Sarah Huckabee Sanders? Um, good call, bad call by Republicans. Uh, what was the intent in doing that? And, and do you think that her message will get through?
1: Yeah, you know, I think one of the best. Uh, things that in this situation, you mentioned bracketing. Bracketing is kind of where, you know, in, in political. Talk is where, from the front end and the back end, you you know frame frame the pre frame the in po- in the follow up, and that's kind of going to be a lot of it can be put together before you even know what what is going to be said by the other side. And so, the choice of Sarah Huckabee standards accomplishes a lot of things. She is a um, a mother. She's forty years old. She's the youngest governor at this time. She is um, was was Trump's former press secretary, so you get the Trump side of things. She's a little bit more dare I say, reasonable or, or, you know, a little bit more mainstream Republican than Trump um, on a lot of things. And so I think you kind of get the Trump side and you get some of the non-Trumpers to also be okay with it. Um, And she's a good messenger. You know, I mean, that was her job, right, Is, is to literally message. And she's a suburban mom. And that's what we need. Right.
2: And that's something that you talked about before. So do you think that post State of the Union that her message is getting through or is it more about Marjorie Taylor Greene right now?
1: You know, if you're somebody who pays attention to what Republicans are saying, you're going to see what she's saying. Um, If you're somebody that watches mainstream media, I mean, I'm not going to attack the media here, but... I mean, it is that you're looking for a clickbait. If you're looking for a general response of what Republicans were doing, I mean, Marjorie Taylor Greene was right there on full display, booing and sneering and jeering and doing whatever she was doing. I think you said even over lunch, looking like uh, Corella Deville, right? So, um, I, I think general population is is seeing Marjorie Taylor Greene, unfortunately.
2: And I think that's a frustration because what what Biden was able to do is he's he's able to, in essence, not only pick his friends but pick his enemies and and his his political weight, his his the, of the speech, the political significance of the speech, is is much more significant when his contrast is someone with a fur collar on her <laughs> dress and is and is yelling, calling him a liar from the House Chamber floor. You know, in the interest of fairness, there's always been antics, I think, on the House floor um, from varying degrees. So this isn't the first time it's happened, but I think in this age to see that contrast. And the fact that I think Margie Taylor Green represents in some ways she 's a fringe element inside the Republican caucus, and so to see her elevated in that sense, particularly when Republicans wanted wanted to do such a uh, wanted it, their kind of official bracketing channels to be through governor Sanders uh, uh, Huckabee Sanders mm-hmm. um, of Arkansas, I think is significant that I think that's where uh, Margie Taylor Green becomes somewhat of a distraction,
1: and I think it goes to again the excellence of of Biden's team because his words were saying unity and bipartisan and touting, and you know we'll we'll chat here briefly um, about the policy of his speech. Um, but his words were saying one thing, and then he laughed it up these softballs for Republicans to grab and boo, and Republicans to be the 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 partisan hacks and and the fringe you know folks in the room and you know we came, the republicans came out looking a little little sad because of that
2: so from a from a optic standpoint you think uh, biden did a good job
1: i do in i mean in contrast
2: with the republicans you think that if it was a win from that perspective
1: right i mean i think that there were probably republicans and a decent amount of democrats that were looking for him this to be a big stumbling block looking for him to kind of come out stumble over his words be confused lose his place in the in the speech or whatever it may be Um, He seemed, you know, on top of it, nimble. He was able to to respond with what was going on around him and ad lib a little bit. I I think that the Biden team probably came out and had some champagne after that.
2: Because, as you pointed out, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, young governor, Mm -hmm. youngest, I think, in the country, as you pointed out, contrasting with the oldest.
1: Forty years younger than the president.
2: Who is the oldest oldest president that we've had at this point. And so... um, it's a very interesting messaging contract. That's contrast. That's why it's so I think significant or disappointing that Margie Taylor Green inserted herself. And in I that also contrast. think
1: very different than what if you go up to an average person of of what they they view the Democrat Party and the Republican Party. It's you know old white guy Republican Party and and younger non white male as as you know the the leaders of the Democrats. And so just it was it's interesting to see.
2: Um, from a policy perspective, give us your give me your take on the speech.
1: Um, you know, he preached bipartisan and unity. I really liked. You know, obviously he was touting the infrastructure bill, big win that they had there made a funny little quip about um you know republican members who voted against the infrastructure bill even are still coming to ask him for jobs in their district um but the one thing that was really stood out to me uh, interesting to hear or interested to hear what you have to say about is kind of taking a page out of the trump book um trump got a lot of flack for his made in america uh, brand and, and and you know messaging over four years um but that was a big part of what uh uh Biden was saying, what do you think about that?
2: I think it's an attempt by the Biden administration um, and and this is this is obviously the act of speaking in front of the House of Representatives at the State of the Union is a is a government act, but it's certainly campaign related. I think he's tried to expand his base. I think it was an opportunity for him. That's one of the advantages of being the incumbent is you get to go out there and kind of you can grow the base if you want to. And he, I think from a policy standpoint, was doing that strategically to bring in some of those swing voters, some people that you identified that it that may you know Trump had tapped into. Uh, you know, Biden won a close election, mm-hmm. even though there's a lot of people that don't think he won. He did win a close election. And so electorally, uh, he has to do everything he can to take advantage of being in office and find the ways to leave the presidency as he begins his campaign by expanding his base. And so by, by offering some of those those little threads, those little paths for other people to come into his his camp, it's strategic through policy.
1: And do you think that that, I mean, something like the made in America, I mean, that speaks to, let's say, our Iron Range union worker, blue collar, you know, Minnesotans, right? That, that maybe voted yep. for Trump as a Republican uh, first time they voted for Republicans and, you know, kind of are a little maybe politically homeless, as you call yourself. Yes.
2: I mean, that's the Reagan Democrats, the people that helped elect Reagan. Um, it's apple pie. It's all America. And it's I think it's a good strategic division. And, and I think our breaking down of the of the president's speech through this kind of lens, I think, shows that it's both campaign. Po- it's it's both politics uh, and its policy. But all of them, I think, are framed through the lens of the Biden reelection. And so I think we're both kind of grading it as. A success on both the policy front. Not, not saying we agree with the policy, right. but that it, that in terms of the objective of him elevating his presidential campaign, that was clearly what the focus was. And if we're measuring it by that, it's going to help him with his with with Democrats.
1: No, he also talked a lot about um, you know that he that the next two years are to finish the job, right? To finish the job of of his first term. That he's been largely successful. Jobs are back. COVID is done, um, and. I would argue. I mean, you are a suburban dad. You you talk to suburban parents. You are well aware of of the prices up at the gas station, at the grocery store. Um, I think something uh, recently there was a quarter of adults say only a quarter say we're headed in the right direction. Are are they wrong to take credit here? What do you think?
2: I don't think they're wrong to take credit. I think that they have a. I think though if if I think they're setting the narrative. I think they're going out and claiming victory over something that I don't know that a lot of people are going to claim, give them credit for. So they're out there claiming credit for it. We're now discussing it, not to say that they did it specifically <laughs> for our podcast, but we're having a debate about that. Now, it's because you know we're informed, we're having a discussion, we're breaking down kind of what happened. But to the average person listening, they might buy that spin. Um, I think there's a number of issues related to the economy, uh, cost, of, cost of the grocery store and other things. Uh, Americans traditionally vote through their pocketbook. Uh, so that's why I think it's going to be a close election. I think that goes back to why, you know, if, if if it was truly a victory, if it was truly a win that he was racking up, I don't know that he would be as strategic in wanting to build his base as much as he could because that base would be there. So I think he's expanding it because he knows he needs to work on it. And, and some of these victories, these quote-unquote victories that right. you can't see me giving air quotes <laughs> for, uh, aren't as significant as I think that he would like them to be. Which is why he needs to expand his political
1: base, you know this recent poll that I also just quoted um also has said that a majority of Democrats do not want Biden to seek another term. Do you think i mean let's let's mark this down here. Do you think it's going to be Biden? Do you think he's going to have a challenger from the left?
2: I think Biden may be challenged. I don't think it'll be significant let me let me let me just set the table here for a second. I think it's difficult for it it's 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 difficult for me to comprehend that of the roughly north of 350, 60, 70 million Americans that we have, that that's the best we could go with. Yeah. Um, I fundamentally have said before in the show, I believe, it's likely going to be Trump. So I think if I were betting today, I think it's going to be a rematch. Uh, right now, I think, and we'll talk more about the Republican candidates, but I think it's going to be a rematch right now. I think that's where the, the system benefits that right now. Um, and for so, the
1: record, I don't think that Trump's going to be the nominee. So let's uh, we'll mark this about, date down and, we'll talk, and yes. see.
2: But I think I think there will be uh, now. I think there are a lot of people who would like to challenge Biden. I think it would be better for the Democratic Party. I think it'd be better for the Republican Party
1: and for America and, maybe, f- and for
2: America, <laughs> too. If, if Biden was not the nominee, um, I think there if there's a lot of uh, it's difficult for me to watch. Uh, the, the kind of the functions of state of, of federal government and say is this really the best we could do don't want to be disrespectful but is this really the best that we yeah. could do and so um i think that if if the democrats had their way i think there would be a robust open system on their side i think the republicans would benefit from that and as you accurately pointed out i think the united states would benefit from it but i ultimately think which we can talk about here in, in a later part of the show I think it's coming down to Trump and uh, Biden.
1: So, any last thoughts on State of the Union, or do we want to chat about some of these? Uh...
2: No, I'm good with State of the Union.
1: So, let's get into it. Let's get into it. So, Nikki Haley has made a kind of announcement that she's announcing, right? Like we're we're going to be seeing the announcement sometime soon. What do you what do you think about Nikki Haley throwing her hat in the ring?
2: I think it's great. I, I think, think it's, it's awesome. I think it's um, let's let's talk about the the, the politics of it uh, in just its raw sense. She's a woman. I think that's great for the Republican brand. I think that's where Republicans need to go, what they need to think about. It's something you've talked about a lot, um, particularly on the last show when we were talking about the 2nd Congressional District, which we'll talk a little bit more, and about the suburbs, Mm -hmm. that Republicans need to do a better job to win over female voters. Now, I'm not saying that women vote in a block and that just because you put up a female voter it means it. But I think Nikki Haley has, I think, a lot of relevant, credible experience right now as, number one, chief executive governor of South Carolina for a couple terms. Uh, she has some foreign policy experience mm-hmm. in her work in the United Nations. I think she has a very deep portfolio. I also think that what makes her so, uh, I think appealing to a lot of Republicans is that she was able to navigate that Trump world and got out at the right time. Now the question becomes, well let's, let's stop there for a second because I want to get your pure take before I add a menace into the fact can conversation. I want to get your pure take on Nikki Haley.
1: One thing that, and I will say, I'm going to say this without knowing exactly where where she would go when she talks about this topic. I think that we've talked a lot about um, abortion still going to be a, a top topic um, leading into 2024. Republicans need to figure out how to navigate. I think one of, a woman talking about that is significantly different than a man, regardless of how, how they answer questions. And I think the fact that Having a, a Republican candidate talking about it, um, being somebody that is 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 voicing this as a woman, as somebody that's a, a mother, as somebody that has maybe had to have. Um, friends that have confided in her, knows it herself. And again, maybe she's 100% pro-life. Maybe she's a little bit more moderate. I, I, to be perfectly frank, I, I should have researched before the show. I don't know exactly what she would say on that. But I think that, as a messenger, is going to play significantly differently than any of the men that might might be on there and, and have to answer to the same question.
2: So your argument is is that just because she's a woman, she's probably going to be better, a better messenger on the spectrum of talking about the issues, she'll be more credible to female voters which we need to, which we need to focus on independent of her position
1: a hundred percent I think a lot of things that I hear from friends or you just hear um, in general is you know you don't have a uterus you don't have a say and so here, you know, so I do think there is something a little bit different. It it does feel, and again, you know, I say this again as somebody. I, I mean, I'm not going to sound like a broken record, but that I do believe that women should have a choice, and and, and I think that um, to have a man dictate a policy about uh, your body does seem does feel a little forceful, right? And so it does feel a little bit different of somebody that has. You know the the same parts. I guess you are going to say yes. So I do see that. I just also think that there's just a different a, a different vibe that you get from a woman candidate, and I think that that's kind of where you know you get some of these independent voters who maybe are um, not as as you know into it until we get down to the to the day of, or you know the week before, and they're casting their ballots. And um, I think that it's it's a different. Type of candidate, we haven't had a woman on on the Republican side, you know, really get this far. And I think that I'm excited. I think she's a great messenger. I think she's really small, smart and articulate. Um, she she comes from an interesting background. She's got a good story to say, and she's got the accolades to, to stand behind herself.
2: So she gets in, she, if she, when she, I mean, she's all but said she's getting right. in. I mean, we have an announcement coming in a couple of days. Yep. We'll should discuss it on our next show when she when, when that announcement's made. But if she gets in. She's, she's going to be She's probably going to be Your candidate of choice
1: She is definitely up there You know I got to Like I said I got to do a little bit more research Into some of her policy um, You know we'll, we'll see But she's she's definitely up there
2: So my take Independent of What I think What happens here Is the menacing factor of Trump Right um, We've already seen an effort um, To kind, I mean So look Nikki Haley served uh, Ambassador to the United Nations Under Trump She got out one of the few Republicans who I think was a part of the administration that got in and got out without much of Trump's ink or stain on them in some way, as in which to say it. Um, but she was clear that if Trump were to seek the nomination again, she would not run against him. And so you've already seen some of that message going out. I think Trump is, uh, I think, just in my view of him, and again, I did not vote for Trump in 16 or 20, um, so take that, my analysis, with a grain of salt. But he doesn't seem to be very happy with the prospects of her getting in. He has not been kind to Governor Ron DeSantis, who he thinks he helped out tremendously become the governor of of Florida. And so the question is, is Trump, I think, here's ultimately the problem, is I think it's very difficult for the spotlight to be shined on anyone other than Trump. And so what I think the challenge for Haley and I think for Nikki Haley and for all the candidates are is how they get on a stage with Donald Trump and gain traction leaving. Because what has been shown consistently is that that Donald Trump literally monopolizes all of the attention, the voice. He's like a black hole and just sucks everyone else's energy and and political gravity away from them. And, And he just absorbs it. And so I'm trying to figure out how... Nikki Haley or any candidate becomes the Trump opposition and they navigate that process. So
1: one thing that I think is interesting over the weekend, I read an ar- article about both Club for Growth and Americans for Prosperity, two conservative organizations, both stepping away for Trump and ready to back a non-Trump candidate. I think it's going to take that plus, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars more. Um, but it's going to take Groups like that, individuals like that, you know, millionaires, billionaires like that stepping out and saying we are not supporting Trump because it's not enough to just do it behind the scenes. They need to do it outwardly so that their friends and other deep pocket organizations and individuals are able to see that okay i'm not going to be alone standing out on this limb against president trump because we know that president trump is also a cruel vindictive guy right like i mean he's going to be throwing stuff out there so you go against him whether you're a fellow presidential candidate, whether you're a donor, whether you're a leader of a conservative organization, he is going to come from you. He, on true social, is going to say bad things about you. And so we're going to need more groups like that, more individuals like that to say publicly that they're not going to back President Trump, and then to have the money to come through. That's the literal only way that there's going to be any potential for success for a non-Trump candidate.
2: But doesn't he succeed in an environment where there's multiple candidates?
1: I mean, yes and no. I think if, should it be a 2016 or 20, you know, it's 2016 all over again, and we have 12 smart, viable candidates. If we have a Christie, DeSantis, Sununu, Haley, you know, times two out there. Yeah, you're right. I mean, then that money is then spread outward about 10, 12 different candidates. And then you have a lot of arrows, you know, in Trump's They call it a quiver quiver. I believe. Um, you know, so, so yes, we, you know, hopefully don't have that many, but it's obviously a lot of folks. Um, I don't want to say ego in a bad way because I think the thought that you're going to have some hundred plus million Americans voting for you, you obviously have to have an ego, right? Um, but yes, there are a lot of egos out there that think that this is their time. This is their shot. They're going to take down Goliath and, uh, and, and, and win this.
2: If you think about the, the presidential race in fifteen sixteen, 16 uh, prior nomination before it gets kicked off, the first one that Trump kind of pushed aside was, was Jeb Bush. I fundamentally think that Nikki Haley is a stronger politician, both in presentation, both in speaking style, both in just overall presence, that she will be much more difficult for Trump to brush away. Do you agree with that?
1: A hundred percent. Yes, absolutely. I think that she has proven herself to to not really back down, to be a very strong, uh, strong conviction, strong speaker, strong candidate. Um, I do not necessarily think Jeb Bush has those same things that he can say. Because although, he, although Barbara Bush did say that Jeb, he was the one she thought was going to be most successful.
2: And and, and and but it was pretty significant that Trump pushed him aside very quickly, and a number of a number of prominent Republican elected officials. So, I mean,
1: he was kind of the chosen one, right? I mean, I had friends yep. that moved from D.C. down to Florida to, to work for him. He was education, I mean, being his number one thing, right? I mean, I think that a lot of folks really thought it was Jeb's time, and Jeb was, was kind of the chosen one.
2: My concern, and this is what I thought saw happen in the past, um, is that so many candidates get in that it just becomes a little bit of by attrition that Trump is just able to kind of gobble them, gobble them up, and move past him, But I think I think as you're framing it out, I think ha- Nikki Haley represents I think a unique contrast with him, particularly because she, by all accounts she was loyal. She served in his administration. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously Trump's people are going to bring up her ca- comments about not challenging him or something like that, but I don't know if how Trump is I-, I wonder if Nikki Haley's presence is something that he hasn't encountered before.
1: Right. I think what is going to be the most telling here is how she announces, how she performs in fundraising in that first week, two weeks, um, and how she just how big of a splash she can make, if it's enough to to sway a, a Christie or a Sinunu or somebody else or Hogan from potentially holding off, not getting in. Um, I think she has the possibility, but I think it's really going to be determined on on how big and successful she can make that announcement and that initial fundraising um, and and see if that's enough.
2: Now, we're speaking a lot about Haley because she's going to announce, we assume she's going to announce in the next couple days, but the other names out there are Ron DeSantis and and Republican Senator Tim Scott. Uh, DeSantis, governor of Florida, Uh, obviously Tim Scott, Republican member of the United States Senate, only African-American United States Senator. Uh, a Republican United States Senator. Um, What's your take? Any perspective? I mean, Trump seems to be battling a lot more with DeSantis, uh, and a little too early, I think, on to see where Tim Scott's going to p- p- weigh in here.
1: Yeah, you know, Scott, I think, has just been popping up a little bit more um, in this conversation over the last couple of days, you know, week or so. Um, Trump certainly is really irked by DeSantis. He's been on True Social putting out all sorts of conspiracy theories. Um, not overly surprising, but that one seems to be a little bit more... Um, personal for for Trump these days. Um, Tim Scott also, I think, would be a, a great candidate. I think he's a good messenger. I think that Republicans, to be able to break out of our mold, to be able to get some independent swing voters, to be able to get some folks to maybe look back at the Republican Party as not just the party of Trump, we need somebody like a scott or a haley to to kind of show that we're not just again that old white guy republican party
2: absolutely now let's talk about um there's a development in minnesota's second congressional district somewhat of a disturbing development um you want to d- describe it and kind of kick it off
1: yes yeah, so last week um Andrew craig congresswoman from the second congressional district a democrat was attacked in the elevator of her um, dc apartment building um everything that we've seen, heard police reports and and from Craig's team as well. Um, It was not politically motivated. It does appear to be a... Um, a, a homeless, mentally ill, potentially somewhat deranged individual who did attack her. She had a hot cup of coffee. She was able to to throw on the individual, get away, call nine one one, and it seems largely, you know, save herself, thankfully. Um, but really unfortunate, really sad, and really scary.
2: What well, was interesting, uh, and 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 we're so glad that Representative Craig is okay. She fended off the attack again with a a cup of hot coffee, but it, when we first heard about it, I think both of our reactions, where I want to get your take on this, too, is is that it was potentially politically motivated. We've seen a rise in political violence. We've seen a rise in this type of incendiary rhetoric leading into attacks on people. It's it's tragic. It's unfortunate. Uh, there's a blame on both sides for it, mm-hmm. but you were so, that was your reaction, too. I, I was surprised to hear that it wasn't. Glad it wasn't politically right. motivated, but... It does speak a little bit to our kind of political culture right now, and and kind of the the tone of political rhetoric.
1: Yeah, we've—I mean—we've seen things be taken too far with whether it's protesters and activists, all the way up to violent acts on both sides against both, um, you know, Republicans and Democrats. And we were chatting a little bit before about, um, you know, aside from you know members of leadership, you know, Speaker of the House, Majority Leader, you know, different levels of, of, um, of leadership. There is not any paid-for security for these for these members of Congress. You know, we have 535 members of Congress, who, um, you know, other than, you know, what, a, a dozen or so, um, or if they need special protection because of an incident. Um, they really are walking the streets like you and I. They're hailing cabs. or catching Ubers. They are just out there. And, unfortunately, there are a level of uh, really um, fired-up, potentially um violent folks on, on both sides of the fringe on both sides that um it, it's it's scary to know what they might do and, and these individuals are largely just out there unprotected. it's it's kind of yeah it's wild
2: well it's good to know that representative craig is is going to recover she's going to be okay i'm glad she was able to fend off the attacker we hope to have her on sometime our show would love to and and uh, again uh it is a little bit of disappointing that uh, our first reaction was to think about political discourse, yes. but we're glad that's apparently not the situation here, but we wish her all the best. We have an interview coming up. We're going to speak with Representative Mike Freiberg from Golden, Golden Valley. We're going to talk with him about the Minnesota state flag, uh, changes that are going to potentially happen with the Minnesota state flag, and also get his general perspective on what's going on at the Minnesota legislature. Insert audio here. Okay. Now, do you want to talk about balloons? Sure. All right. Where are we on time for you?
1: Um We're good. Oh, okay, yeah, so
2: um, I say we do balloons, and then should we do wrap-up after Freiburg tomorrow? Or should yeah, we, let's right, do it after okay, so then we can right. have
1: some actual response and tweet.
2: All right. Um, one of the other subjects that is somewhat bizarre that continues to come up is the balloons and objects that are flying over the United States that are being shot down. Um, we discussed it last week on the show that uh, there would have been a balloon that it was uh, originated uh, in China that was shot down in uh, South Carolina? North Carolina, North Car- uh, over the ocean.
1: O- over mm-hmm. the ocean
2: in one of the Carolinas uh, last weekend. Since that time, there's been three additional ones, uh, unidentified objects of some form, one that was shot up over Alaska, one that was shot over uh, Lake Huron, mm-hmm. and another one in Canada Correct. that was shot down. Uh, and so that's three of these unidentified objects. We don't know the specifics, I don't think we even know if they were balloons. We just know that they were, as of right now, unidentified objects. And the discussion comes to what is going on here. But in particular, from a messaging standpoint, I think I'd like to bring this up from a discussion standpoint is, where's the president on this? And, and I, would, I would set it off and, and, and say, I think he needs to speak about this. I think that this is a very unusual situation. It's ripe with controversy. Uh, I think that the Biden administration, um, tactically, from a tactical standpoint, I think they made the right decision to shoot the balloon down over the water. But I think from a messaging standpoint, I think they could have gotten involved sooner. I'd like to get your take as a as a messaging expert and guru um, oh, wow. on, on this. What's your take on how they're messaging this up and what would you be advising and doing?
1: Um, my first comment is they're just not messaging, right? I mean, it's the lack of transparency... Um, is is pretty stark here. We haven't heard really anything other than there were objects, they were shot down. We don't know where they were from. We don't know if they were balloons. We don't know, I mean, the conspiracy. It's just breeding conspiracy, breeding more questions. Also, I mean, leads us to the question we talked about last week of so the balloon, we needed to wait until it was over the ocean. But now hear you have three different ones. Sure, one was over Lake Huron, and from what we gather, fell into the lake, um, which, shout out to Minnesotans, that was a Minnesota National Guard um, airmen that uh, Governor Walls did announce that shot that one down. So, I mean great that we were a part of that um but even governor wells then tweeted after that that it was a federal you know federal deployment and and leaving it up to the feds to to explain this so i mean were they balloons were they planes were they alien spaceships i mean your guess is as good as mine i mean quite quite realistically
2: but we're approaching this from the standpoint of clearly someone at the department of defense or the or in the Biden administration knows what they shot down, correct?
1: I mean, yes, uh, you, uh, yeah.
2: And you th- I mean, and, and and my point is, I think they should. There's a there's a missed opportunity here to message. I mean, we we're talking about four, four that we know of right now engagements by military forces, some with NORAD and in, in, in mm-hmm. Canadian forces, um, where the United States has shot these down. That's a serious issue. Now, whether this has been going on for quite some time and we're just learning about it now. What I think is unusual for Americans and people across the world is that we're discussing it. And so if it's was, if so, it been going on for a while, that's fine, but then at least come and explain that. If this is a normal bit of activity, but it seems to be something that is, there's breaking news. Uh, you're hearing them on social media. You're hearing developments and see, reading developments on social media right away. I think this would be an, a responsible, I think this would be a time for a responsible spokesman from the Biden administration or for the Department of Defense to come out and say hey, what's going on?
1: Well, absolutely, especially with uh, how much attention the balloon got, right? So supposedly these these unidentified objects um, were flying about 20,000 feet below the balloon. Um, I, I read that they said NORAD dropped their altitude, that they're monitoring for this, and that's why they caught them. So that, I mean, that to me just leads me to ask, well, <laughs> were a bunch of them getting away with this prior to that? Um but but it's been what 3 4 days now that we don't have an answer we don't have we don't know that this was a an enemy space or an enemy airplane that they were gathering information we don't know anything about it um which just again it's just the lack of transparency is just really unfortunate um is going to lead for more questions than answers at this point they should have somebody be able to step out they should have some canned response even if it's just a statement that they send out to the press that gets blasted you know in font on our if they're not going to have somebody actually talk and do interviews and, and do this we, we need to know more. This is also... I mean, we we talked for days about the balloon and why that was allowed to go over the entire country. Why aren't these different?
2: So do you think... So do you think that the... Not to put you too much on the spot, but do you think the Biden administration knows more than what they're saying? I mean, I mean clearly they do. Right. But they do you, have to. But do you think... What's the danger in them waiting? What's the danger in them not speaking up? Because, I mean, we're arguing... That they should speak up, that they should provide some statement, kind of calm the fears and explain some information. What's the downside of them not doing
1: that? I think the downside of them not doing that is largely folks that are uh, maybe opponents of the Biden administration, but just maybe general, you know, fact-loving Americans in general are going to find something that they're going to glob onto, right? There, There's going to be something that, that they decide is the answer to this and why they're being they're hiding. Um, the fact that they're not coming out almost seems like they do have something to hide and, and that they are not telling us. It's it's just really unfathomable to me. I, I can't find a single situation where it would be that they don't know what these are and who's responsible for them.
2: I would agree. I think the downside is that it foments this type of craziness, this conspiracy theory type stuff. I mean, there are we're hearing legitimate discussions with people about whether these are space aliens. Right. And so, I mean, I don't think that they are, but I don't know enough to say that they're not. And so I just think it would be good for responsible agents of government to go out there and say, okay, here's what's going on. Um, you know, we're, we're, this is you know a subject we're now going to discuss. Here's what we know. Here's what we don't know. Here's how common they are. Here's whether the American public should be concerned or not.
1: Two questions for you. First off, do you think had the balloon been maybe shot down quicker than it was, this would be happening? Do you think that allowing that to go across the entire country allowed for a scenario where enemies, friends, whoever this may be responsible for, thought, hey, I can get away with it?
2: I think that's possible. I think you cannot dismiss. I understand the strategic reasons as to why they waited. That you know, when I first heard about, it, I'm like, I going to shoot it down. But I understand, you know, over the ocean versus you know over land in terms of the ability to gather what it is and analyze what it is from a, from an intelligence gathering standpoint. I understand that it made more sense to, to shoot it down over the ocean. That being said, it did create a little bit of an, a, little, a little bit of a of a narrative or a discussion that the United States is aerial defenses that you could just fly a balloon over the the continental united states and there's no really kind of targeted response
1: my second question let's say the state of the union was this upcoming tuesday do you think we'd have an answer by now
2: yes that's a great that is fantastic work on your part yes i think we would i think that i guess i think that we would
1: third question do you think they have will smith on standby should it be alien craft?
2: Oh, I hope so. <laughs> I would hope so. But that's a great point. I mean, I think you're laying out there. I think that you I think that's fantastic. I mean, the Will Smith stuff, you know, not so much. But the other two points, I think you make a very. I think you're drawing a logical connection. The question is, is if the answer was easy, wouldn't they just come out and explain what it is? So, the to my in my opinion, the answer has to be something more complicated. Whether it's state sponsored, whether it's China or another country, or whether it's some type of other type of fringe element or something else that's going on, there's a reason why they're not communicating what it is. Because, I mean, we've had four military actions in the last week related to these. Um,
1: And not just like, I mean, like scrambling of jets is not like an everyday, you know, just tactic, right?
2: So uh, your bet would be, or your instinct would be, that there's more going on and there's some reason... And again, we're not accepting the present, the, the, yes. the element that there's a little green men, Correct. But there's something significant going on for the, the fact that the United States government has not been more transparent what's going on. And
1: do you think, yes, I do. I do think that they know more. I think that they, they've learned more. Do you think that, I'm going to throw one more question at you. Do you think there's a possibility, let's say, again, this is where conspiracies happen, right? Our, our lack of knowledge is just going to force us to, to make up our own. It, let's, say, let's say it is China, Do you think because of this situation, three have been shot down, they're gathering intelligence, they're doing whatever they're doing. Do you think they're waiting to inform the country, say more about it because they are possibly talking with the responsible country? They're talking with somebody, maybe negotiating of some sort of of what that is, or or do you think it's just – what if you had to gather what? What reason do you think that there is? You know, putting you on the spot of of why we don't know why they are waiting.
2: I think you've raised a very reasonable reason as to what's going on. I'd like to believe something is going on behind the screen. That they're the doing scenes, something. That they're doing right? something. I don't want to believe that it's just someone's to do list hasn't gotten done <laughs> and the update hasn't been sent out. There has to be something going on behind the scenes as to why this is why this is why the lack of information has been going out. Again, we don't know how. Um, routine these are by all accounts this is unusual behavior we've apparently heard there's what some examples in the trump administration where it happened to and in know,
1: other countries i right? don't know
2: how how new this is um but i do think the fact that it's garnered this much attention i think it would be responsible for the biden administration or someone from the department of defense to do a briefing and to clarify that being said i do think we should consider doing conspiracy theories area 51 as subject matters now should we, if we're not going to do sports, I mean, there's a lot of stuff we could talk about here.
1: All right. We could do a
2: lot of craziness on UFOs. Interesting. That would be good to think about.
1: All right. so we Upcoming have some, show.
2: Upcoming show. We got new material. So joining us today uh, for an interview on the Broadcore Report is Representative Mike Freiberg from Golden Valley, Minnesota. And we're going to talk a little bit about legislative update, but also we want to focus a good portion of the interview on uh, efforts to change... Minnesota state flag. Um, and Representative Freiberg is uh, sent out a tweet about that, and uh, he's authored some legislation related to that. And it, it's a really interesting subject. And I'd like to uh, give uh, Representative Freiberg an opportunity to introduce himself and, and talk about it and, and educate our listeners, and, and particularly me, on the subject of the Minnesota state flag and why we need to change it.
3: Sure. Thanks, Michael. So, um, yeah, I'm Mike Freiberg. I'm a state representative in my uh, sixth term, which is kind of hard to believe, um, represent all of Golden Valley and Robbinsdale and parts of Crystal and Plymouth. Um, This session, I'm chairing the elections committee in the House, too. So glad to be here. Did you just kind of want me to launch into the discussion of the flag and why I'm carrying this bill?
2: Yeah, that and and one other quick thing. Um, We share a mutual friend in uh, Jeff Kolb. And I wanted to note that for our listeners, uh, Jeff is a good friend of mine. He brought up a little interesting tidbit about you. You have some family that's in uh, in the music business or tied to a famous band. Is that true? That's true, yes. I assume he's talking about my uncle,
3: David Freiberg, uh, who's a member of Jefferson Starship. Um, he, If you remember the song Jane uh, from back in the day, from back in the 70s, he wrote that song and... Uh, Kind of just by having outlasted, he, he was, he played bass and keyboards and did backing vocals back in the day, but, uh, and they're kind of doing the casino circuit now. Um, and just kind of by virtue of blasting everybody else, he's now kind of by default the lead male vocalist. Um, so it's, so I've seen them of times, um, you know, I was a little too young to see them back in the day, but it's cool. I've uh, gotten to see him play the last few years a, a few times.
2: Well, we certainly wanted to acknowledge your, the rock and roll royalty. That 's in your family, so we appreciate <laughs> not only not only your your legislative experience but also your music perspective and thank you for sharing those tidbits about yourself
3: oh yeah, no problem always happy to talk about uncle david
2: that's great <laughs> well um, to the legislation and, and what kind of generated this, I saw you sent out a tweet about uh, the flag and, and, and a, a ver- one of the versions of the potentially amended state flag or the new state flag uh, that and I saw it, it was I think it was in your legislative office and, and we uh, sent some DMs uh, offline to discuss it, and we thought it would gr- be great to have you on to give your perspective on, on that issue, but then also your broad takes on, on, the, on the current legislative session and what's going on.
3: Sure. Yeah, you want me just to talk about the flag first? That'd be great
2: if you could. Talk about the session.
3: Well, sure, yeah. No, the picture you saw is of one design, the North Star flag design. It's uh, There's a gentleman who owns a flag shop in Rochester who helped uh, design that one, um i should mention though so i do have this bill to change the state flag and i can talk about why but i you know one thing i just want to mention at the outset is that it doesn't actually mandate any specific flag design um if it were up to me i probably would pick the north star flag just because they've put a lot of work into that and it seems meaningful it seems to meet the requirements of a good flag but um just speaking for me i'm i'm colorblind and i'm probably the last person that should actually be in charge of designing the flag so um, the bill I have sets up a panel of of experts um, and people who know a lot about the state and its history to come up with a new design. Our, the current flag design has been around for a number of years, and it has a couple of problems with it. Um, one is sort of aesthetic. Um, you know, there are certain principles you want in a flag, you, you know, uh, the North American vexillological association has um five principles of good flag design they say you should keep it simple use meaningful symbolism use two or three basic colors not have any lettering or seals on the flag and it should be either distinctive or be related to other flags um and this minnesota's flag pretty much fails all of those Mm -hmm. tests it's basically just the state seal um slapped on a blue background and it's it's indistinguishable from about 20 other states that do the same thing um and it's actually, man- and it's sort of mandated in state law that the the design is the state seal put onto a flag. So you can't actually, you can't tell. Some people have flown it upside down and not even noticed it. Um, it's just too busy, got too much going on. Um, but the seal itself, the second problem with it is is um, it is pro- more of a problem in my mind. Um, so it was, you know, the the picture that's on the seal depicts. Um, a white farmer in the foreground and a native american person in the background um you know by itself that's not necessarily a bad thing but it was it was designed very deliberately to depict um you know white settlers displacing native americans and native americans are still here and there's actually a poem uh written by the wife of the guy who designed the seal um that that talks about it i mean it's not a stretch to call it genocidal um, i have i have it here it says you know, the red man's course is onward. We claim his noble heritage and Minnesota's land must pass with all its untold wealth to the white man's grasping hand. I mean, it's just not, it's, it's just, it's kind of appalling really. There's no reason it should be on the flag. um, And it's, I don't think it's a good representation of Minnesota um, these days. So, um, so I have a bill, Um, Senator Mirunesh is the author in the Senate. We're hoping to set up a commission, um, to come up with a new flag design that would be in place by uh, statehood day and
1: so
2: that's brief summary
1: brief
3: summary thank you so much
1: yeah, yeah no that's a great background and um no is is the flag that we have now the flag? is the original flag right it's been the same flag for the last hundred and some years
3: uh there was i think there was a change made uh, initially it was designed to depict a native american riding into the sunset maybe 40 years ago or something updated to have the native american going towards the 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 farmer which is i mean an improvement but it's still it's just uh, you know i don't see why that design is particularly worth saving
2: um i have a question about what this now if we change the flag what does that mean for the the state seal would we be changing the state seal too or would this because the, as you pointed out the the flag is basically just the state seal in the middle. Would we then be updating the state seal?
3: Yes, actually, the bill uh- sets up a state emblems commission and they are charged with uh redesigning both the seal and the flag so there's um you know there's no requirement that this you know that they come up with a plan that just puts the seal back on the flag and I hope they don't actually because it's not a good principle of flag design generally.
2: What would be if if your bill became if your bill passed, what would be the process for getting the flag changed yeah uh
3: well so there's the commission is set up it's got um i think twelve or thirteen members a few appointed by the governor um the various uh, ethnic councils that the state has set up um the secretary of State would be on it or the secretary's designee, the secretary of state is actually in statute listed as the keeper of the seal and secretary simon has been a strong supporter of this too and has done a lot of outreach on on improving the seal but ultimately it would be up to the legislature to pass a bill to to change it so um they'll they would meet and uh, come up with a recommendation by the new year and the that would take effect you know that if something crazy happened the legislature would still have the opportunity to change it but um Barring that, it would go into effect in May of next year.
2: The commission would decide. Would, would there be options presented, um, would, would, or would just would they, would there be a would there be an opportunity for Minnesotans to weigh in on some of the concepts?
3: Yes. Um, well, yeah. So I assume they would. I mean, the process, the exact process they use, isn't spelled out. I think it's probably better to leave it up to them. But the bill does specify, you know, that that the commission must solicit public feedback and suggestions to inform its work. And they can secure the voluntary service and aid of vexillolo- vexillologists and other persons. I'm just reading the bill here, who have technical or artistic skill in flag construction and design, or the design of official seals, to assist in the work. Um, but they do have to take public input as well. I you know,
1: something like this. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead, Becky. I was just going to say, you know, something like this has has we've seen you know come up a, a couple of years in a row. Now, um, which leads me to believe there's some people that oppose changing the flag. Can you speak a little bit to who those individuals or groups are and and why they may be opposed to to making this change to the flag?
3: Yeah, well, I mean, I'm not honestly I'm not aware that Minnesota's flag has generated a lot of passion, you know, in the recent recent years, just because, frankly, it's not a very good flag. Um, You know, certainly since the bill's been introduced, you know, it's in the legislative process, which is a political process. And, um, you know, I've seen some snarky comments on Twitter from some of my colleagues on the other side of the aisle, you know, saying the DFL wants to change the flag. Um, But, uh, you know, on the uh, side of that, like, besides that immediate um, kind of social media reaction to it, I'm not aware, you know, I'm not aware that there's a big, groundswell, you know, save the save the flag supporters. I just don't think it's a flag worth saving, frankly.
1: And w- should should this pass? Should we get a new flag? Everything goes uh, according to your plan here. Um, what what sort of cost is there uh, associated with this? I mean, I, I, you know, there's got to be hundreds or thousands of flags flying around the around the state right now. Um, so assuming there would be some sort of, of cost to have to do this and replace those, correct?
3: Yeah, the bill got a fiscal note. I mean, it only uh, you know, you know, the only cost to the state is the cost of you know setting up the commission and office space, that type of stuff. So that wasn't that wasn't a huge amount. That was maybe fifty thousand dollars or something like that. There is a process, you know, every there is a process for retiring flags that would be followed. Like it's it's been in place in the United States for the U.S. flag, although it hasn't been used. But every time you know, up until 1959 or whenever Alaska and Hawaii became states, you know, they, they had a process for every time a new star got added to the flag, you could keep using the existing flag until, you know, they, they don't last forever, especially if they're out blowing in the wind. Um, so there's a process for retiring them and putting up a new one. So hopefully it would be just part of that kind of natural process of, um, of updating flags.
2: I um, Representative Freiberg and I were talking uh, before we started recording, and I, and I mentioned to him that I'd recently been to Mount Rushmore, and I had seen—if you've not been there before—the it, it, kind of the walkway up to the to the main viewing area. There's a flag of every state, and Minnesota's flag just is so unoriginal; um, it doesn't stick out in any type of way. As as he noted, it looks like a lot of other flags, um, and I, I just don't think that they're when you kind of examine it and kind of break it down. Um, I think there 's not uh, it 's interesting to hear him say uh, that there doesn 't seem to be a lot of uh, tradition or support for the current flag. I think by most people, if you just kind of examine it and break it down both aesthetically and from its meaning perspective there 's just not a lot of reason to stick with the original i 'm um, curious, uh, representative Frederick, if in your kind of analysis of other flags, is there another state flag that uh, let 's talk about the flags other state flags you may like. Um, are there flags from other states that um, you 've seen that uh, think are uh, are good options, or, or good thing, or some of the types of things that we should incorporate in our flag? Yeah. Well, again, I would
3: say I'm probably the least—that's right—qualified uh, person to talk about it. Just I don't see color yeah. normally uh, the way you know I have red green color blindness and stuff. But you know, with that caveat aside, you know, I think there are a few that are at least recognized as either distinctive or meaningful. You know, uh, you know, like Maryland. I mean, some people say it looks like a, something you'd see at a race car track, but it, you know, but it's distinctive. Um, I think Colorado is one I've heard mentioned.
2: You mentioned um, Colorado. I'm a big fan yeah. of Colorado's flag.
3: Yeah, yeah. Ohio, I think, has a pretty unique one. It's pennant shaped. It's not rectangular. Um, you know, mm-hmm. and 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 this process of updating flags is something that's been done in other states too. Mississippi updated its flag a couple years ago to get rid of the Confederate symbol, and I think most people. Think that the one they went with is a really good one from everything I've heard. Um, I think Utah has uh, gone through the process of updating its flag as well um, and, you know, into more of a beehive since they're the beehive state. So, um, you know, I think there's lots of examples that the commission could look at out there.
2: The one that I think we can exclude, not from a partisan standpoint, is I think Senator Draskowski had offered up the North Star flag, um, which I, I mean, I love the North Stars. Um, I miss that they're gone but I don't think it would make for a very good flag.
3: Yeah, it's a great this is uh yeah, not to be from, confused with the North Star fl- flag with yes. the one star and the waves, but uh the actual flag of the Minnesota North Stars hockey team. Yeah, it's a it's a great vintage logo. I mean, I would like wear it, you know, I'd wear a t-shirt with that logo in a, in a second, but uh but in terms of Representing the whole state. Yeah, I don't think that's really the
2: the answer. What's what's how how long have you been working on this? And and what's the likelihood you think it gets done this legislative session?
3: Um, I honestly I think it's probably a little better likelihood with the DFL in charge It seems like there's a a broader support within the DFL party. I've worked on it for a few years Um, representative Peter Fisher um, has worked on it also. Um, I know he's had, he's had students from his district come and testify on it. So he and I have worked pretty closely since then. I kind of added in the the bit about the seal also. Um, so you know, I, nothing's ever a given in the legislative process, but I am hopeful that we have a good shot at it this year. It's um, already been heard in the Senate committee, um, uh, which, and it hasn't been heard in the Senate in a few years. Um, uh, or forever, as, as far as I know, and we're hoping to get a hearing in the House within a week or two. Also,
2: if I may, uh, Becky and I are both Republicans. Um, probably she more than me. Um, certainly she more than me. Um, I'm curious, from your perspective, um, not to put you too much on the spot, but why, from a partisan perspective, I'm just kind of puzzled. Um, you know, being a Republican um, in in, so, in some fashion, Becky B. more, I'm just curious as to why this this debate. And I and I agree with you. I've seen some of the some of the, the points on social media, and I've seen the way some of the people have framed this up. I'm curious as to why this is a hill that, that Republicans wish in, in some ways to kind of die on. It just doesn't mean to seem to make a lot of sense.
3: Well, I, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not a Republican. Correct. So I think uh, <laughs> I, the two of you would probably be in a better position to analyze it. I mean, I guess one thing I can say is, it, I do think, you know, I do think there's, I mean, the you know, the flag design Problems are one thing, but I do think the depiction of the Native American on there is a real problem, and I think it's something we need to talk about and confront honestly, because um, it was designed that way very deliberately. And I think in doing that, I mean, you do kind of raise the whole issue of of racial politics, and uh, you know, I, it seems like that's a that's a big rallying cry for the Republican Party right now. They like to you know throw around the word woke politics and stuff like that. Uh, you know, I you know, I, I'm trying, I'm trying to be pretty even handed on it, but it's, you know, when there's this, you know, when terms like that are getting thrown around, it's, it's, it's hard, it's hard for something like this not to get caught up on it. It's, a, it's unfortunate because I think, um, it's, it's a really, I mean, if you're honest about the flag design, it's, it's kind of unavoidable. And I think it needs to be talked about that. That was the intention of the people who designed the seal initially was to depict the, the elimination of native american people um and i just don't see how you can have an honest discussion about the flag without discussing that but and that you know if that opens up you know accusations that this is um you know identity politics or something i guess so be it but i think it's an important part of the debate that we need to talk about
2: well i um i want to take a few extra minutes to talk about the legislative session but i want to thank you for talking about the flag to begin with i also want to give a little shout out to a neighbor guy across the street, a young a gentleman across the street that, where I live in, in Eagan. He dis, a couple of years ago, uh, when I, when I first met him and his family, when they moved in, he discussed with me uh, very passionately um, the Minnesota state flag and why there was a need to have a change. And that conversation stuck with me. And so when I saw your tweet, um, it, it reminded me back of that conversation I had with a young man. And, and I, and, and, uh, I appreciate being a part of the discussion. Had I not had that conversation with a young man, I don't know that I would have necessarily put as much thought into, you know, having you on to talk specifically about it. But this is going to, I think, a very interesting subject for, for Minnesotans to pay attention to. I think you've laid out some, some aesthetic reasons, some common sense reasons, and, and tackling some big issues. But at least, uh, you know, thanks for talking with us about the flag. And, and we hope to, uh, certainly not a trivial subject, uh, and I think it should be inter- interesting for our listeners to spend some time researching themselves and looking into it and following along on it.
3: Yeah. No. My pleasure. I appreciate your interest in the topic too.
2: Um, we have you for a couple more minutes. I don't want to take too much of your time, but your just general perspective uh, on the legislative session, your thoughts as to where things are going, how you think it's shaping up. Um, you know, how do you think the session ends up? You know, just your just general thoughts.
3: Yeah. No. It's been. Uh it's been a pretty incredible session so far. So I, I was elected in 2012 um, to my first term and that was the last time the DFL had the trifecta. And, uh, I mean, it was, it was kind of exhausting then. Um, you know, and, and it's seems like a similar frenetic pace this time. It kind of reminds me of that session, but this time I'm in my sixth term now. So I feel like I have a much better handle on how the process works. Um, but I mean, you know, we've just we've already passed, um, you know, multiple bills that have been signed into law. We've spent a lot more time on the House floor than we would normally do this early in the session. Um, and I think we're kind of doing the things we got elected to do is uh, to, uh, you know, make fun school lunches and renewable energy and uh, protecting reproductive options. And uh, I mean, you know, I think it's just been a it's uh it's been it's been a it's been a whirlwind so far, but uh, but I, I and I think it'll continue to be very productive. I mean, I think it'll change a little bit once the budget targets come out and we start having to put together the budget. But uh, you know, it's it seems like it's going to be a pretty busy session all the way up until the end.
1: Now, representative, we've had a couple of Republican members on, um, a Democrat member on, um, and it, and it sounds it's kind of going to be a agree to disagree kind of. Thing thing here but it'd be interested to hear your take on this um based on the kind of you know it certainly has been busy the speed of processing bills um discussing bills hearing bills um and whether um you your your thoughts on whether they're being properly vetted hearing from the public hearing from opposition and everything of that sort or you know certainly with the trifecta there is um, little to no need of, of Republican votes. But I'm um, just curious of, of whether you see much difference in, in the years past of how things are going um, with, with you know, actually fully vetting these bills.
3: Yeah, no, I mean, a lot of the bills we passed have already been out there for a few years. Um, you know, they've all gone through a pretty standard committee process, you know, where opponents of the bills are given opportunities to testify you know anyone who wants to can sign up to testify um the minority mem- party members of the committees can offer amendments and have done so in many cases including the committee i chair and you know the bills have bills have gone through uh, you know i think the standard legislative process um, in terms of getting public input and getting uh questions and comments and amendments resolved from the minority party um but, uh, you know, I it does, you know, in terms of the the process that's being followed, I don't I don't think it's I don't think it's particularly different from how it's been in the past, except that it's just been maybe more efficient. Um, and mm-hmm. normally, you know, at the beginning of session, we especially in the budget committees, you'll get overviews from all of the agencies that that budget that that committee has jurisdiction over and they'll do PowerPoints and it'll go on for a while. But uh, we've been hearing a lot more bills um, early, but the bills that we've heard have gone through the, you know, the, the normal process.
2: Well, Representative Freiberg, I really appreciate you being with us today. I hope it was a good experience. Uh, we're going to continue to follow legislative updates, particularly the flag update, and we'd love to have you back on uh, later this legislative session or, or when more is done on this. I want to thank you for coming on today and, and just being a voice as to what's going on in the legislature and, and being so open to have a discussion.
3: Yeah, no, it's uh, my pleasure. Glad to glad to be on. Thanks for your interest.
2: Where can um, where can people follow you um, uh, follow you, uh, on social media? Uh, you're at, I think you're at Rep Freiberg on on Twitter, and they can uh, follow your activities at the state Capitol by going to, to the House website. Correct?
3: Yep. Yeah, I'm probably most active on Twitter. I do have like Facebook and Instagram pages as well, but I'm not as great about keeping them updated. So yeah, Rep Freiberg on at Twitter is probably the best bet.
2: Well, wonderful, sir. Thank you again for coming on, and we, and we hope to have you on again in the future.
3: Yep, thank you. Hope to be on.
2: Well, that was an interesting interview with Rep Freiburg, Rep Mike Freiburg. Uh, Becky, your thoughts on his perspective on the flag, session, everything?
1: Yeah, so I personally, um, you know, for I, I, I understand where the change is coming from. I personally don't have, um, you know, it's not a hill I'm going to die on here. I do understand there is... Um, always in these kind of situations, a push for the historical factor, a push towards the historical sentiment behind some of this stuff. Um, I know you've mentioned a little bit that you've seen um, some opponents um, chime in uh, as to why maybe they're against this. Do you, any, any of that stand out of, of folks that are adamant that we keep this flag the same?
2: I'm just puzzled. I'm really puzzled about this one because it doesn't, from my perspective, it just doesn't seem... I don't see an aesthetic. Just if, if you're just going to look at the flag visually, I don't think it's visually a good flag. And if you break it down and look at the construction of it, I don't think it's. I don't think it changes. Uh, I don't think it, Minnesotans are, are wed to it in any type of significant way. I think, unfortunately, that some of these debates, because they're offered up by partisans, um, there's just a natural propensity and a desire to knock them down. Um, think we're seeing some of that, and and I just don't know. I would really need um, to understand more what the arguments would be to keep it. I haven't seen, aside from the labeling it as the DFL is trying to change the state flag, I haven't seen any type of thoughtful defense, any type of uh, detailed, thoughtful defense as to why the current state flag is that good um, and why we should keep it. And so, agreed. Um, I think it would be just best for the state to decide and, and, and legislature to pass it and a commission to come up with something. Um, this just seems to be a fight that just doesn't seem worthwhile having.
1: Do you think if it was something like changing change the state muffin or the state flower, we'd still hear opposition as well?
2: Yes, I would. And it's, uh, I, I'm not saying, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean lady slipper and the blueberry muffin.
1: Um, oh, nice. I was uh, going to quiz and see if you knew the state. Yeah, muffin.
2: Um, we also have a state painting. Um, Grace is the state painting. Uh, or the state, uh, kind of, uh, I think it's, I think it's the technical term is painting or, um, so yeah, so um, I'll be very curious. To I, I, in, in preparation for this interview, I went and reviewed a number of state flags and, um, just to kind of get a sense of what else is out there. As I said, uh, I was in Mount Rushmore too with my family this summer and you can see all the flags there. Minnesota is, is pretty, uh, setting aside some of the, you know, as, as Rep Freiberg described some of the imagery in it, it is a pretty bland flag um there's a
0: lot
2: going on yeah there's a lot going on and i'm a I, if i were to I, I would like to see uh i liked Colorado's flag. big fan of that uh maryland's is is horrific um uh, but i was a big those are two that he mentioned uh it's interesting uh, his perspective i mean the fact that he just you know disclosed that he's colorblind um and some of the imagery Uh, And and it's just a unique perspective for someone who's, uh, you know, he was transparent about that. I think that's just an interesting, adds just a little interesting perspective to the discussion.
1: Yeah, you know, I think I guess we'll have to wait and see. I think it will be also interesting to how this commission is made up. Um, You know, I I think that that is something I can see some Republican legislators having an issue uh, with governor appointees, with some of the groups or individuals that, um, may be placed on that, and, and if that becomes a, a sort of partisan commission, um, you know, or, or quote-unquote uh, woke commission um, that some some folks might have an issue with. But, you know, again, they have the trifecta. Whether they have an issue or not, I guess, Republicans have an issue or not, might not, doesn't really matter so much right now.
2: I'm going to be pulling for uh, the neighbor guy across the street, the young man that first brought this subject up to me. I'm going to hope uh, hope he gets it. If this becomes, the, the legislation passes and there's a commission. i like to see him on that because I think he will do, do a heck of a job there. Well, um, we're, we're coming to the end of the show here, and we like to end things up with the tweet of the week for both of us. Uh, let's start with you, Becky.
1: Yes. So as we've mentioned a couple times, uh, we are going to be rebranding the show at some point in the future. Um, we had a, a gentleman chime in on Twitter this week suggesting, what about renaming the Corp Report to Allery and the Guy Who Endorsed Tim Walls? Oof. What do you think about that one?
2: Well, um, I, it would be on brand. Um, Accurate. I mean, we've, we've done, this will be our 16th show. Um, we are going to do some rebranding. Um, I think it's pretty fair to say that the one subject that's come up nearly every show has been you lampooning me for, or you're criticizing me, critiquing me. <laughs> poking me for my endorsement of uh, Governor Tim Walls. So, I mean, it would be on brand. Um, would I be will on,
1: say, hey, we went through the whole State of the Union chat and I did not once tie you to the Democrats and, and the President. So, I gave you a pass.
2: I appreciate your, your kindness and generosity as always. Um, my tweet is gonna be from Representative Angie Craig. Um, uh, uh, Manu Rao from CNN tweeted out that President Biden had called Representative Angie Craig, who was assaulted last week, in her D.C. apartment to offer his support for her. According to a person familiar with the matter, Vice President Harris called Craig Thursday afternoon, the source said. Uh, Representative Angie Craig retweeted it and said, quote, can confirm and Amy Klobuchar brought over beer on Friday night. Nothing like friends who know you. Uh, it's nice to see uh, uh, Representative Craig uh, taking a lighthearted approach to the uh, what, what occurred to her. We discussed that earlier in the show. Um, and um, we wish her a speedy recovery. But it's nice to see her, uh, at least on social media, be able to be a little bit of lightheartedness about it, and also uh, offer a little bit of collegiality there with, with Senator Klobuchar, who was uh, who apparently brought over some beers, and, and they discussed the situation.
1: You know, that's one thing. Uh, again, obviously, not not my people uh, on on the party side, but um, you know, when I worked in D.C., I always enjoyed the um, the allegiance or alliances and, you know, friendships that, um, members of the delegation do have with each other. So that's, you know, great to see
2: any comp- uh, just final note, Nora, that where was, you were involved in, in the, in the, the hot dish competitions.
1: Sure was. Um, I even made it a couple years. I mean, with the policeman and of course
2: you did what, um, so how, can you can just explain to our listeners just as a closing, uh, that process congressional hot dish contest, Uh, And and any victories or or wins under under, uh, Congressman uh, Emmer's uh, belt?
1: You know, it was my my one big goal of my time in D.C., and and we were not successful while I was there. Um, But, you know, they always have a good time. It was typically you do something a little bit, you know, with the piece of legislation you're doing or something of, you know, a punny kind of name. Um, I think Congressman Peterson one time had something with bear meat and it was the right to bear arms. Um, we did, uh, Congressman Emmer was the, the lead on the Cuban, uh, in, in lifting the Cuba embargo. We did a Cuba, um, hot dish one year. Um, they bring in all sorts of different, uh, guest judges, some pretty impressive names. And, um, typically it's, it's all eight members of Congress and the two senators. And, uh, it's, it's a really good time. And I gotta say probably the biggest uh, press event that a uh, Minnesota delegation gets out there.
2: But you can confirm on the Broadcorp Report that you were involved in some of the dishes.
1: Yeah, sure was.
2: Uh, any favorites? Hey,
1: I'm from the comm side. I got to make sure that That's we got right. some, you know, you got some good optics to push there. That's
2: good. Well, we uh, thank you so much for sharing that story. And, and, and to our listeners, uh, we will be back soon uh, with another edition of the Broadcorp Report, or maybe under another name. Stay tuned for developments. Uh, I want to thank uh, Becky Allery, of course, for being here. And uh, we'll be back soon. Thank you so much. Bye.